Sunday night, how are we? Come on, come on. After the Razorbacks got a win yesterday, Sunday night, how are we? Come on, come on. Oh yeah, awesome. We're so excited to be with you guys tonight. Uh, so excited to worship alongside you guys. Um, we have a new one for you guys tonight. Um, it's called My Testimony. Um, we pray that this song would encourage, would help you guys find hope. Uh, but it goes like this, the chorus is super simple. This is my testimony from death to life. Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony This is my testimony Super simple, let's stand and worship tonight Three rolls. 
Fellowship College. How are you guys doing? How about them hogs? Yes, did I say I already said that? You already said that, didn't you? All right, well, um, welcome. We are so glad you're here tonight. Um, my name is Elise. I work here with College and Young Adult Women. Um, if you are near here, new here and this is your first time, our team would love to meet you and make sure you're getting plugged in and connected. Um, so say hi to our team, Garland, Josh, Ashley Jolly, or myself and Burton. We'd love to connect you guys. Um, one thing is we love to see students get connected into the community and serve in different places. Um, Y'all might have seen Canacook is stationed outside. How many of y'all have served at Canacook before? All right, yeah, some Canacook people. Um, be sure to talk to them on your way out. See how they have a lot of summer opportunities um, for you to get connected. So we'd love for y'all to talk with them. And there's gonna be more people like that coming during our services. And so just keep your eye out for that. We'd love for y'all to ask them any questions about serving. Second, Burton mentioned something about our worship um, initiative and just seeing, want to see students use their gifts and skills, um, especially in the creative arts area, to worship the Lord. And so we have a form now that's ready up on our link in bio and Instagram. And so if you click that, you can fill out the form, um, fill out some ways that you naturally like to serve, especially in the creative area. And we would love to circle back with you um, and help you get connected to use those gifts and skills. Um, before we move into our worship, I would just love to take a second to pray. Um, so if you have able to bow your heads with me. Lord, um, we are so grateful for you. We're so grateful for this beautiful fall weather today and just this new season um, of time to connect with you and glorify you, God. Um, I pray students, as they pray, they come into this room tonight, um, that their hearts are open and just ready to receive you, Lord. Um, the way that you want to make yourself known to them, God, I pray that you do that. Lord, I pray for our hearts and just to glorify you in all that we do. We give this night to you. So we pray, amen. So sometimes I think it's so easy uh, for a lot of us as students that we come to church on a Sunday and it's easy to put all of our, our hurts and anxieties and our stresses, and we kind of leave them at the door, the church doors, and everyone's so good. And How are you doing? So good. Everyone's filled the same kind of ideas and words over and over. Uh, but tonight, I want to take a minute to kind of slow down, uh, to take a moment to Ask the Lord, I'm, hey, I'm going through this and that. I'm stressed about school. I got so many things going on. Lord, I need you. So all across this room, could we do, could we do this? Could we close our eyes? Wherever you're at, whether you're coming into this room, I'm on top of the world, whether you're coming in at the very bottom of a deep valley, ask the Lord that he would step in there with you. I pray that tonight that as we take a moment, maybe just 15 seconds, that we would see the Lord is beside us and has been walking with us the whole way. Take a few moments. goodness time and time again. 
Thank you guys. So when I was growing up, I had this role in my family. It's not a role that I really asked for or honestly, I don't feel like it was a role that I deserved, but it was just kind of one that was given to me. Anytime anything electronic broke, I was the guy that was supposed to fix it. I don't know why that was my job. I don't know why my family decided that I was the best equipped for that, but that's just kind of how it was. And so not knowing anything about technology, I tried two things every single time. The first thing I would do is I would try and turn it off and turn it back on or restart it. And the second thing I would do is I would try and see if it was plugged in, if there was any power source. And as you probably know, 90% of the time, that fixes the issue. And so that kind of continued this cycle of, wow, Josh fixes all these things. Of course, I wouldn't tell my parents uh, or my family that, that it was easy. I would usually make something up uh, about the components or the wires or something. But one time, my, my grandma had just got this brand new iPad she got a Facebook account and everything. It was a little scary. But like a day or two in, it stopped working. And uh, she, she comes to me and is like, Joshua, will you, will you fix this for me? I'll, I'll even pay you. And so, of course, I, I jumped at the opportunity, took it into the room, grabbed the charger, and tried the first technique. I turned it, tried to turn it on and off. wasn't working. I held down all the buttons, like, in different sequences. I don't know if you ever tried that, where it's like, I'll try holding this top button and the volume button. None of that was working. And so I thought, okay, I'll plug it in and, and see if it just needs to be charged. And, and sure enough, a minute later, the little Apple icon came on the screen, and then a few minutes after that, uh, it was working totally fine. And so I kind of stayed in the other room, let it charge, and then brought it back out to her and made up some, some story of, the trouble that I had to go through to get it, to get it fixed. The reason that I, that I tell you that is because for the last few weeks, we have been looking at the church in Thessalonica. We've been seeing this crazy, supernatural life change that has been going on in the lives of these Christians. And tonight, we get a, a sneak peek into uh, the power source, if you will, behind it, the source of this life change, the thing that is causing uh, growth and development 
in their spiritual walk. And so before we get into the passage, I do have a few disclaimers. Number one, this is kind of a classic Paul argument where he, he kind of is, is on track for a little bit, finds a rabbit hole, goes down a rabbit hole, and then just jumps back out of nowhere, finds another rabbit hole, and then comes back. And so because of that, and because of just time tonight, we are not, I wish we could go down all those rabbit holes and talk about all the little details behind these things. But we're gonna stick to kind of what I believe after reading this passage is, is the main point. That being said, these, these rabbit holes include uh, Satan's purpose, Satan's work in hindering the gospel. And another one that we're not gonna talk about tonight, I wish we could, is God's wrath against the Jews who killed Jesus, the Jews who persecuted the early church, and the Jews who are persecuting the church in Thessalonica. The good news is next week, we're gonna have a live Q&A with the whole college team is gonna be up here, and we're gonna take any questions. Nothing's off limits. Whatever you wanna ask, you can text it in anonymously, and we'll answer that, those questions. And so if you have a question about God's wrath, send it in. If you have a question about kind of where does Satan fit in spiritual warfare and persecution, it's a great time to send it in. But let's go ahead and read our passage for tonight. Oh. Uh, and then we'll get going. Let me pray before we start, though. Father, we, we thank you, God. We thank you that you are present with us tonight. We thank you for your spirit. God, we need you. I pray, if nothing else, that your word would be seen tonight, that it would be your word that changes and transforms lives here tonight. So I pray that anything that is just my opinion would be forgotten and that your Holy Spirit would just would move in mighty ways. God, so we love you, we praise you, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus, amen. So here's the summary, and this is my own summary, my own opinion, so you can disagree if you want of this passage, and this is gonna help guide us tonight. The summary is that the word of God transforms lives. And this is done by leading, specifically in the Thessalonian church, to temporary suffering that leads to eternal glory. So let's read the passage, and then we'll go from there. It's a lot of words on the screen, so, so bear with me. If you have your Bibles, this is 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 20. Paul says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles. 
so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. And so Paul, in this first part, he talks about the word of God, that the church in Thessalonica, when they heard the gospel, when Paul, Silas, and Timothy came and preached the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that they didn't just hear it as this made-up human story, but they received it and they believed it as coming from God himself. And that this belief that it was actually God's word and not man's word started to change them. It says this word was at work in you who believe. And so if you get nothing else tonight, if you just zone out for the next 20 minutes, my hope and my prayer is that you would leave here tonight knowing that that the book maybe that you have in front of you right now, the Bible that you're holding is not just a story, that it's not just another textbook, that it's not just another thing to, to study, to get a grade on, that it is actually God's word, that the gospel itself is not a made up story, but it's God's word. So a lot of us, especially those of us who've grown up maybe in Christian homes or grew up uh, in the Bible Belt, going to church, we've been surrounded by God's word all the time. We maybe had a Bible when we were young, maybe went to confirmation class, been in small groups and Bible studies, maybe even multiple times a week. Maybe you have a Bible verse on your Instagram bio, or if you're really bold, even a tattoo of some sort of scripture or Greek or Hebrew word in the Bible. In the American Christian culture, we love to surround ourselves with God's word, which, which, hear me out, is not a bad thing. But when we're missing the actual source of power and we just have a bunch of random cords lying around and we're forgetting to actually have it plugged into the source, that's the Holy Spirit, when we forget that the word that you have is God breathe. It has no power. The author of Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active. He says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Paul in 2 Timothy says that the word that all scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. God's word is not just another book. It's actually a, a scalpel in the hands of a good physician that sees, that pierces the soul and the heart. It sees your deepest longings and desires. It sees where you're off. It's a mirror into your soul. It sees where you are not conforming to the image of Christ. And the Holy Spirit uses that in our lives to convict us and to change us and to transform us. And that's exactly what's happening in the lives of these Thessalonians. And so for many of you tonight, you need to go home and read God's word and sit down and actually believe that this is the word of God and not just another book. That this is not just something that you grew up with, you heard all these stories, but that God is trying to teach you something. That God, out of his love, wants you to walk in holiness and in faithfulness. And so this transformation that the Thessalonian church is experiencing is actually leading them to become imitators. The word of God is making them imitators of the early church who are imitators of Christ. And the ways that they are imitating is maybe not what you would expect. The ways that they're imitating is through suffering. It's unavoidable in this text. We see that the word of God changed supernaturally the lives of the Thessalonian church, made them imitators of the early church, imitators of Christ, and the ways that they imitated Christ was through the ways that they suffered. And so I know that suffering is not something we like to talk about, but it's present in every single one of our lives, and it's all throughout the Bible. And I think if we have a healthy view of suffering, it's actually a beautiful and glorious thing. So Paul says that you became imitators of us by the ways that you suffered from your own people. The same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. He says they displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we are orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, but Satan blocked our way. And so you see there's this, there's this wrestle, there's this battle. The second that they joined into this, this journey, becoming imitators of Christ, there was opposition from Satan, from Jews, and within themselves as well. And so although we don't like to talk about suffering, I think there's even sometimes when we will choose suffering willingly in order to reach a desired goal. I don't know if any of y'all have ever trained for a marathon, half marathon, Ironman, triathlon, you name it. But that's suffering, I'll tell you what. That is, 
That is textbook suffering. I hate running, and my wife convinced me to do a half marathon with her. And I cannot tell you how much my body hurt. Like every day, my knees were in constant pain. I'd go to bed, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and just would start cramping. Like my, my legs would just start cramping in the middle of the night, would have to stretch them out. I had to change the way I ate. I'm like a sucker for anything unhealthy, any fast food, you name it. And it's like, I had to change, I had to stop eating those things because I wanted to finish the race. And I wanted to run as fast as I could. And so, out of love for my wife, and also out of uh, just pure competition and wanting to succeed and finish this race, I willingly gave up comforts. I willingly submitted myself to certain pain and suffering because of the end goal. Maybe a better example, I probably have no right to speak into this, and so I'm sorry. I'll try and do it justice. But from what I hear, childbirth is the most painful thing that you could ever go through. And I'm not just talking about the childbirth itself. A lot of my friends right now uh, are now having kids. And not only the, the birth itself, but the nine months leading up to it. A woman who's pregnant has to go through extreme discomfort. They have to stop eating a lot of the things that they want to eat. They're carrying around a child. They, they don't get to sleep as well, especially once, once the baby's born as well. And they just have pain, discomfort, nausea constantly. And yet, I, I think I could argue that most women who give birth have some sort of idea that it's going to be really, really hard. At least in the back of their minds, they know that this whole process is going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. They're going to have to give up a lot of things. But they're so willing to go through that for this moment. To have a child in their, in their arms, to have a baby in their arms that they have, they have carried, they've created and so they're willing to go through pain, discomfort, giving up a lot of things for the end goal. And y'all, the Christian life is very similar to that. Jesus himself says, you wanna know what the kingdom of heaven is like? He says it's like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable. A relationship with God himself is so valuable that we should be willing. You see that word joy? We should be joyfully giving up anything he asks. When we truly understand the gospel, when we truly understand that all we bring to the table is sin and that God in his love, by his grace alone, saved us, 
died for us, rescues us from the wrath to come, reconciles a relationship to it with God, when we truly understand that, we can't earn our way, but we should be so joyful to, to give up whatever, whatever he asks because the treasure is way more valuable than anything we have. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do you guys hear that? There's gonna be a lot of things in your path this week that try and pull your attention away, that are asking you to look at it over and over and over again. Pornography, social media, the approval of others, wanting that guy or girl that you like to notice you. Even things like money and success, grades, accomplishment. All these things are gonna be vying for your attention. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And yet Paul here is telling us we're called to look on what is unseen. Not the things that are temporary that's just gonna go away here today and gone tomorrow, but the things that are eternal. And so Paul finishes this passage by showing us what these eternal things look like. To Paul, this is his eternity. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Paul is talking here to the Thessalonian church. He has watched them as a loving father grow up in a matter of months. He has seen the word of God transform their lives supernaturally. He's got to be a part of that. He's seen the Holy Spirit work and move and bring dead people to life, children of darkness to light. And that's what his life is about. I don't know if you ever played this game growing up, but I hated it. The reason I, the reason I hated Monopoly so much growing up is because if you know me at all, I may be one of the most competitive people you've ever met. And like not in like a, oh, cool, that's like, oh, that's fun. He, he likes competition kind of way of like a, like stay out of that guy's way because he's nuts kind of way. And so I had this from a young age and we'd play Monopoly and I would just get so focused. I'd get so zoned in. I wanted to win so bad. Nothing else mattered to me. And so I'd, I'd start, I'd collect you, it, all, it all depends on what piece you select. So you, you take the car, right? The car always wins. So I'd get this car, 
and then I would just try and get as much money as possible. I'd try and collect as many properties as possible, build houses as fast as possible, maybe throw some hotels on there, and just all I would care about is at the expense of everybody else in my family, I didn't care how much money they lost, I just wanted to have all of it. And sometimes I won, and it was awesome. And sometimes I lost, and that was not great. But every time, you know what we did at the end of the game? Put the board back in the box, put the money back in the little tray, put the little properties back in their place, the houses went back in the bag, the hotels went back in the bag, and we closed the box, and it was done. You don't get to take any of those. I don't know if they, they, should, they need to tell people this at a young age, like that money you can't like take with you. You don't get to spend that money on anything else once that game is over. And I'm afraid that this room, myself included, are lost in a game of Monopoly right now. I'm afraid that we've been so focused on money, success, trying to drive the nicest car, trying to get a house as quick as possible, growing business at the expense of everybody else. And we're totally blind to the idea that there's coming a day when none of that is gonna matter. Do you hear me? There's coming a day when it all goes back in the box, all of it. So what's gonna matter? Think about your life right now. What are the things that when Jesus comes or that when you die is gonna have any significance? Paul's boasting, his boasting at the coming of the Lord Jesus is, look at this Thessalonian church. Look at the, the changed lives of these people. They know God. They have a relationship with God. Their lives are changed. They're joyful in suffering. Look how incredible these people are. I got to be a part of that, Paul's saying. The Spirit did the work, but I got to be a part of that. God, use me. How amazing is that? That's the reason I got into ministry. My first summer working at camp, I thought that God would never want to use a broken sinner like me. I thought God could use everyone else, but not with the sin I've got in my life, not with the decisions that I've made. And my first summer working at camp, God changed lives. I couldn't believe it. He used the gospel through me to change the lives of these kids for eternity. And I finished that summer, I said, I, I've gotta be a part of this. I've gotta be a part of this for the rest of my life. I don't care what it looks like. I wanna see the Lord move and work and change lives. And so I don't know what that is for you. For some of y'all, 
it might be a career change like it was for me. For many of y'all, it might just be changing your perspective. Waking up from the lies that this world has told you that, that these material things are everything. And to seeing things, what's gonna matter in eternity? When Jesus comes or when I die, what's gonna matter? What's gonna have eternal impact? What's gonna be my source of boasting before Jesus? I'll tell you what, you're not gonna say, Jesus, look how much money I have. Jesus, look at this amazing house that I bought. Jesus, look how high I climbed the, the ladder of this company. Look how many followers I've got. No one's gonna boast like that. It's gonna be, Jesus, thank you that I got to be a part of your eternal work here on earth. I think C.T. Studd sums it up best. We're gonna close like this. He says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we confess as a congregation here tonight the ways that we have fallen short. Lord, we have not seen your word as supernatural. We've been so focused on earthly, temporary things that we have lost sight of eternity. Would you recenter our hearts tonight? Even as we worship right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way to, to draw us back to you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you allow us to be a part of this mission here. We need you. Pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
done for Christ will last. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If you want to talk more about what it looks like to join God's mission here on earth and how you can do that even on your campus or here in Fayetteville, come find us after. We'll be outside. If you don't know what you're doing next summer and you want to be a part of that mission, go check out the Canacuck table outside. That place changed my life, and I've seen it change so many. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you next week. Y'all are dismissed.